This is the time in our service when we tell the kids to get out. Kids are dismissed for Sunday school. Any grown-ups who want to go to Sunday school, sneak out quietly. We won't judge you. So today I want to talk to you guys a little bit about myself. And if that's where I was going to stop, that should concern you immensely. But I want to do it in a way that brings glory to God, puts Christ in the spotlight, and makes the gospel of immeasurable worth. Today I'm going to give you a little bit of my background I'm going to give you a little bit about the background of our church family. I'm going to let you know what it appears the Lord is doing as I just share a couple of the the lines in the grand narrative of God's redemptive story that he's graciously included all of his children in. So, most of you know I was brought up in a Jewish home outside New York City. I attended Hebrew school growing up. I was a bar mitzvah at the age of 13. My faith was important to me. It's a close-knit community, the Jewish community. It is a proud community. It's a committed community, and it is steeped in tradition and ritual. And it was important to me. It was central to my identity, but there was a problem. I asked a lot of questions. I remember asking, did God really make everything out of nothing? Is the Bible really true? Did the Red Sea really part for the people to pass through? Let's talk about some of these questions, because that's not what we're doing. I got answers. Was there really a global flood? How could God be good and kill all those people? And an interesting side note, one of the janitors in our temple's name was Jesus. That's true. And it led to the question, not why don't we believe that the Jesus in the temple was Messiah, but why don't we believe in Jesus? Well, I never got answers. I got because we do. Don't ask so many questions. You just have to trust. And it took an inquisitive kid and turned him in to an antagonistic agnostic. I knew the Bible wasn't true. I knew that Jews were pathetically confused. They were dedicated, but confused. And the people I pitied most were Christians. You see, at least a Jew had the credibility to keep kosher, to show up at temple, to not act like the world and function in a close-knit community. But the Christian people, my goodness, I had dedicated fools I was hanging out with, but there were hypocritical fools called Christians. They didn't know why they believe what they do. They look just like the rest of the world. And... They said that there was only one way to heaven, but they didn't care so much to tell you about it, so they clearly didn't believe it. Well, growing up like that, becoming antagonistic, I went off to college. And I happened to also grow up in a family that was successful. Now, we were told, my sister and I, that we grew up in a middle-class family. I knew that wasn't the case one day when I showed up at school in fifth grade with an electric bill. We were all learning to read electric bills. And when I read the the amount on the electric bill that was due, the teacher says, you're out of your mind, give me that bill. It wasn't that off. You see, growing up like I did, we were assuming it was normal and average and a good solid middle class upbringing. Turns out it wasn't. We were a little bit on the north side, though my mom would disagree. 
We grew up with big houses, nice vacations, nice cars, country clubs, everything you could want out of life. And I grew up with a dad who was hardworking, from a dad who was hardworking, from a dad who was hardworking, and I was told that my job in life was to do one step better than the previous generation. I providentially didn't come by at the right time, but I was up to the challenge. So an antagonistic, prideful, boastful, arrogant, athletic, a little bit on the right side of over-average intelligent kid decided I would make my stake in the world and build my kingdom. And that's how I ended up here today. <laughs> Why is that funny? I'm not doing it. So I went off to college. I majored in economics and political science. I studied at the University of London School of Economics. I worked towards my MBA at the Ohio State University, and I began working in pharmaceutical arbitrage. Before too long, I was hired on as a management consultant at a billable wage that shocked even me, and people paid this stuff for me to sit and offer advice. It was unbelievable, but I guess they were figuring out I was a king of the castle. I was young, I was acquiring stuff, we owned houses, we traveled, we, we bought nice cars, everything we wanted, we just buy it. We would, we would deprive ourselves by waiting 30 days to buy something we wanted. We weren't saving up for it, we were making money. I was catching up to my dad. Had a long way to go, but I'd retire in 30 or 40 years with a large stake of the earth under my ownership. I was one of the strange people who thought maybe I'll go into politics and become president. Not in a laughing way but because I had connections through family that might make it a realistic possibility. And I liked the prestige that that might offer. So you say, dude, what are you doing sitting up there? It's a long story. Hope you have some time. Well, God intervened is the gist of the story. We, um, it first started, I realized what I was striving after, what I was trying to acquire was pointless. It was one Saturday afternoon, I was driving in a high-end sports car. Beautiful car. People look at the car and they go, wow, who's driving that car? How could they afford the car? But I was hanging out the window trying not to throw up. The acceleration on a 500-plus horsepower car will make you ill if you don't feather the accelerator. And what struck me was this beautiful handcrafted leather interior inside the shell of this extravagant car that most of the world looks at and says, I would die to have that. I was sitting in it trying not to ruin the interior. And God convicted me before I even knew him. My boy, this is hollow and pointless and fruitless. Do you really want to dedicate your life to getting this? Well, I got out of the car and got back in a lower horsepower version, went home and tried not to think about that. Well, not too long thereafter, there was a there were a series of events, a series of unfortunate events. They were actually quite fortunate where God began to break me down. He began to show me that I was not in charge of everything, that I wasn't the master of my own destiny, and what I was pursuing was hollow and pointless and fruitless and would end in misery. It was a really uplifting and exciting time of life. Well, one night I was invited to an open forum, an open discussion group, and my wife said, oh, come on, let's go, and I, I mean... I went kicking and screaming. When I say kicking and screaming, I'm not a quiet and passive person. It was like, you got to be kidding me. What do you think I'm going to waste my... Something like that. Well, I went kicking and screaming, and we were going to leave. It was at a doctor's house in Columbus, Ohio, and his cul-de-sac was packed with cars. So I said, it was raining. I said, we can't go in a car. Moved right from in front of his house. Hmm. So we pulled in five minutes. I said to Laura, five minutes, and I'm out of here. Well, three, four hours later... We were the last ones to leave. My poor wife is hanging out by the door. Can we go? They, this man brought up a question. And the question was, can we know for certain God exists? 
And he actually answered that question in an intellectually credible way based off of scripture and rational thinking. And I was hooked. Huh? So I went out the next morning and I bought a Bible. The saddest day of my life is I paid full price for a Bible. Sticker price. You ever do that? $69.99. Don't. If you're young in your faith, see me. I'll give you one first. But don't pay full price. I began devouring it. I started in the Gospel of Luke. I was a Jew. I knew everything up to Malachi. But when you get to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we Jews don't read that. That's anti-Semitic literature. You don't touch it. And you know what the first thing I learned was? Jesus was Jewish. I mean, you laugh, but when I read that, I, was, I, I said, what? I began devouring the scriptures, devouring books, attending a Bible study, meeting with this man who led the open forum, who was so gracious to meet with me and listen to my questions, which must have been so ridiculously silly. But he would show from me, from scripture, the answers to these questions. And after an extended period of time, the Lord was so gracious to open my eyes to the reality of who he was, who I was, and what Christ had done for me. It began as an intellectual process, but the reality is my testimony is the same as yours if you're a child of God. I was lost, I was dead in my sin, and the Holy Spirit was gracious to open my eyes so I might come to see my pride, my arrogance, my boastfulness, that I wanted to sit on the throne that rightfully belonged to God, but He was so gracious that rather than squash me, He forgave me through Christ. And I was so humbled and floored by the reality of this that I accepted Christ as my Lord and Savior. Romans 3.23, I fell short of the glory of God. I knew from Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin is death. I knew that from Romans 5.8 that while I was a sinner, Christ died for me. And I knew from Acts 16.31 that I needed to place my trust and my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ alone. Next day I called my parents up. Mom and Dad, you'll never guess what happened to me. What, John? I became a Christian. I put my faith in Christ. Click. That was my mom. My dad said, Son, don't bring that up with your mother. We don't talk about things like that. All right. I'm an evangelist now. I mean, I'm rocking it out. Well, over the coming weeks and months, I became a part of a local assembly. I was baptized first. And a couple of things struck me. Now we're going to stop talking about me. Got three verses for you. Matthew 28, 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. A question struck me. Why did no one ever share the gospel with me? I grew up just outside New York City, one of the most populated cities in the world, and no one had gone out and attempted to make a disciple of me? How? 1 Peter 3.15 But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Why, when I asked questions, did no one have a reason for the hope that they had? Why? I still have questions about that one. 1 Peter 2.9 But you are a chosen race. Listen to this one. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. A people of his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. A royal nation, a holy priesthood. You know what that means? That means that you as Christians represent God to the people and the people to God. Why did no one ever do this 
for me. I was mad, I was sad, I was frustrated, I was confused, maybe I was missing something. But what happened was the Lord began to build a passion within me. See, we we joined a small group in our church, and my hair was still wet from my baptism, not literally, figuratively speaking, and I was asked to basically lead a small group. Why? Because I had more biblical knowledge in this cabeza, Spanish, you see that, I'm real smart, than other people in the small group. I said, how could this be? I mean, I was only good through Malachi, really good, but then I knew the Gospels in the New Testament better than most. How could this be? It was sad. The people were biblically illiterate. They were under-discipled. They were under-cared for. They weren't being led and nurtured and nourished. It shouldn't be that way. Well, what happened was I began to feel that the Lord was building in me a passion as a very young believer to help those who were saved to understand why they believed what they did and be equipped to give a reason for the hope that they had and to engage the lost with the gospel so that they might come to saving faith. So what did I do? I read 2 Peter 3 and Romans 10. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promises. Some count slowness, but is patient towards you. Not wishing, catch this, not wishing that any should perish. You hear that? Not wishing that any should perish. Lord Jesus does not want any to perish but that all should reach repentance. Go down to Romans 10, and you see, listen to this. How will they call on him in whom they have never heard? And how are they to believe in him whom they have never... Sorry, with whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. I knew my Lord and Savior, who was gracious to forgive me, desired to use me, and all of us as Christians, to proclaim His excellencies, to represent Him to a lost world, to offer the gospel to those who will heal, to hear, and to go out and make our feet pretty by walking in obedience. So what did I do? I went to seminary, and I was doggedly determined I was never, ever, ever going to be a pastor. Ever, never, ever, period, point blank, exclamation point, done. Felt strongly about it. So I went off to seminary to become equipped to be able to encourage and equip the saints and engage the lost, but I was going to go back to the corporate world. I wasn't in love with money, but I certainly didn't want to be a pastor. I had hung around churches. Move that there, move on. Colossians 1.10 says, So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. That was my goal. So I went to seminary, and people began to say to me, professors and pastors and friends, John, I think the Lord might be calling you to pastoral ministry. Oh, no, he ain't. John, I think think he may be calling you. You need to consider, oh, no, he doesn't. We take homiletics. You know what homiletics is? It sounds good. It's a preaching class. And every preaching class I took, the professor said, John, you, you clearly need to go on some sort of vocational ministry where you can preach the word. The Lord has made you and gifted you uniquely. Well, that's too bad because you're not reading this right. I ain't going to be a pastor. Well, God has a sense of humor, and God has a way of getting what he wants, and after fighting it for many years, I found that the Lord always gets his man. So we came out here, my wife and I, with two little boys, to work at a church in the area as a family pastor. You know the name of the church? I'll keep it secret from you, because it's irrelevant what the name is. But it was a big, exciting, fun church. Everything looked good when we interviewed But it was all about butts and bucks. And that now is my passion in ministry. Butts and bucks, God forbid. 
This church was about how do you bring in as many people as possible? How do you make as much money as possible? How do you grow numerically as quickly as possible at any cost? It was all about trying to entice the kids so their parents would want to come back. It was about pre-bought, pre-packaged sermon series that they pawn off at their own. It was about glitz and glamour and production and stages and lights and fun and games and make it happy they'll want to come. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm a guy who likes to have fun. I'm a guy who likes to laugh. And we have a joke in our church family that one day we're going to have a members-only moon bounce. (laughs) But we're not going to entice people in with gimmicks. So we're sitting there. And what happened was, having preaching responsibilities, I refused to use a prepackaged sermon series. And what I did is I just preached from the Word of God. And something strange happened. People actually came to faith. People began to grow in their faith, and it created a firestorm when the senior pastor says to me, you need to stop it. You're going to cause problems. You're asking too many questions. People already know enough Bible. And I'm sitting there and I'm saying to my wife, is God cruel or have a sick sense of humor? Because this is everything I wanted nothing to do with the church, and he brought us out here to probably show me, you fool, you weren't supposed to be a pastor. I told you this. Long story short, I was told to stop what I was doing or I wouldn't be there long. And as you can tell, before too long, I wasn't there. I don't, I don't pretend to be a perfectly sanctified man nor close to a perfect pastor. But what I try to do is walk in the will of Christ by the clear word of God and preach the scriptures and get myself out of the way, which is part of why I don't like talking about myself. But I do that to share the story of where we get today. Not too long after that, God's Grace Bible Church began. There were, there were a few families that began to gather in our house. We worshipped in the living room. The kids went to the basement for Sunday school. And the people who came were people who had come to saving faith through the ministry that the Lord had entrusted to us, who had begun to grow in faith through the ministry the Lord had entrusted to us, and who had asked if we might be willing to start a church and that I might be the pastor. And after much prayer and consideration and seeking counsel from others, it became clear that this was the Lord's will. So who are we as a church? Well... That's a really hard question to answer in short order. So I hope you all have no afternoon plans. We'll take two breaks. And ushers, would you pass out the document? I'm kidding. Matthew 16, 18. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I, my, not me, and you. We are a church as you are of the Lord Jesus Christ, and it is his church, and he will build his church. And as a church, we are about Titus 1, 1 through 3. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness and hope of eternal life which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. Now see, I could exegete that text for you for 40 minutes. But I'm going to do it quickly in three minutes. And my people, please don't get used to this, because this isn't going to be normal. But in that text, you see three things, evangelism, edification, and encouragement. We are to be about leading people to salvation. We are to be about leading people in the body to sanctification. We are to be about leading the people in the body to security and endurance. We are simply a church of the Lord to be used for His glory. We exist to bring glory to God. We exist to make the gospel center stage. And we exist not to help Jesus out to get done what he wants, but because the Lord Jesus delights in inviting his children to join in his work. 
When I was a kid, my dad would sometimes invite me to join him in working. And sometimes he'd bring a hammer. He'd say, John, why don't you hammer this while I hold the nail? He's a brave man. And he would put his hand there, and I would take the hammer. He would actually be more like this. I'd hit him. And he was really good. He didn't yell out loud. Mm. All right, try again. Mm. My friends, do you know why my dad invited me to nail? Because he loved me, and he delighted in spending time with me. Do you know what you have to offer the Lord Jesus? Oh, come on, my beloved child. Swing the hammer again. Jesus could build his, his kingdom far more expeditiously and quickly if he simply got us out of the way. But he is so amazingly unpredictable that he invites lost, foolish, pathetic things, us, to be used by him for his glory. And we exist as a church not because God needs our skill set, but because we delight in recognizing that the Lord called us to salvation, invited us into his work, and our joy is found in the abiding life of walking in his will. Listen, if the Lord wanted to perfect us positionally, he could have brought us home the day we came to faith. If the Lord just wanted us to worship, he could have brought us home on the day we came to saving faith. But the Lord has left us here to build his kingdom through us so that we might make much of him, so that we might care for one another, so that we might make ourselves a spectacle before a lost world by loving one another as Christ loved us. So we might go out and proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. And so that we might walk in obedience to him. On all of our church shirts, you'll see in small print, Living, learning, sharing. Living as brothers and sisters in Christ, as the Lord calls us to. It's John 13, verse 34 to 35. Learning what God's word is and how it applies to each and every area of our lives, both individually and collectively, so we can be complete, equipped for every good work. At 2 Timothy three sixteen through 17, and sharing. The good news of Jesus Christ with everyone the Lord gives opportunity to in discipling those who come to saving faith. Matthew 28, 19. We exist as a church called God's Grace Bible Church because the Lord has delighted in allowing us to exist. We exist as a church not looking to survive, but living as a church who thrives, and we do that because the Lord provides and encourages and guides. The moment we offer nothing to the Lord, my prayer for our church is that we will cease and desist because we serve no purpose to the Lord, but as long as we walk in His will, make much of Him, and build on the foundation that He laid through the apostolic teaching we find in His Word, through the power of the Holy Spirit, with Him as a cornerstone, my friends, we cannot fail because even the gates of hell will not prevail against the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have seen God work uniquely. People say, well, your church is small. My friends, I've come from churches of three to 5,000 people. It is not hard to bring three to 5,000 people. We could pack these pews in a matter of weeks. It's not hard. What is hard is to see people come to saving faith because that is a miraculous work of God. What is hard is to walk in obedience, loving one another, because I'm a recovering sin addict and you're a recovering sin addict, and we will clash heads. But a supernatural work takes place that restores fellowship between believers, that goes out and proclaims the gospel, and lost people come to saving faith. And I grew up as a kid who was going to hell, and nobody cared enough to tell me, and not on my watch is what the Lord laid on my heart. And as a pastor of the church, I am charged to make sure that those under my care, not on your watch either. Because one day, each and every one of us will stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and give an account for the life that we lived. 
I do not want to hear from my Lord as a pastor of a church, what did you do to my church? And I do not want to hear from my Lord as a child of God, why did you waste the talent? And the same must be said for each and every one of us. The church is the bride of Christ. It is the body of Christ. As believers, we are entrusted with spiritual gifts for the mutual upbuilding of one another. There is room for preference in the church in small areas, but it's always a deferential preference. Did you know that? Some might say, well, the Lord doesn't say what color the curtain should be. He doesn't, but he gives guidance. Do you know what it is? He says, well, what color do you want? I don't care. I want you to put the interests of someone else ahead of your own. Do you see this? This is not normal. Why would you put the interests of someone ahead of your own? It takes a supernatural work. We're called to love one another as Christ loved us. That means the hard work of being committed doggedly to loving one another, putting the interests of the other ahead of ours, and seeking the glory of Christ above all. I grew up as a kid in a family that was about kingdom builders. We ran in circles of the influential. I know people whose names you would look at and say, how do you know them? My friends, it's hollow, it's pointless, it's empty apart from Christ. And if you walk out of here and you gaze your eyes around in a circle, you will see around you myriad people who this day of Christ's return would go to hell. And I'm not okay with that. And I'm not okay with that because that's where I was going. Now there are plenty of places called churches around our area that are built by man. There are some that are built by Christ. But the Lord allows us to exist for a reason. It is to make much of Him to walk in obedience to Him and proclaim the excellencies of Him who called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. Now, we are at a unique point in the history of our two church families. I don't know if any of you noticed that. We are at a unique point where God has begun to bring two churches together in a way that makes sense with 2020 hindsight, But in the midst of it, didn't seem so clear. And through the process, we're in the flesh. We all would have been running out of here. And you all would have been running out of here. Or we would have broken out into brawls in the parking lot. But God is gracious. And my friends, what I hope to communicate to you through that story is that we, as God's Grace Bible Church, are excited about what the Lord has in store for us as we walk together in this journey. We are excited to welcome you and honor your past as it fits into this vision to grow in the present alongside one another and to see God's vision for us into the future as we walk in obedience. And I'll stop there. That's enough for me. And I'll invite Jeff and and Jim and John to come join me in the front, please. Unfortunately, John is on his way to Denmark. John is walking down the middle of the church. Oh, yeah. I have to change plans because I'm not in Denmark. I have to change plans. <laughs>